The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 2, David Platt offers a tour of the entire New Testament, including an overview of each of the 27 books. And we will see how the New Testament fulfills what was anticipated in the Old Testament, shining a spotlight on the King, Jesus Christ, and the gospel of His kingdom. For the Secret Church 2 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC2. And this is Secret Church 2, Episode 1. Good evening. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open to the New Testament. It was almost exactly a year ago, the very beginning of May last year, when... I found myself in part of an Asian country where it's illegal to be gathered together as a follower of Christ. We were were meeting there, had been snuck in, and we were in this apartment high up in this particular building, and it was basically uh, being holed up in that apartment. We couldn't go out anywhere. It was eat, sleep, and teach in this apartment for the days that we were there. And these believers were gathered together, training, all of them preparing to go to other Asian countries, headed toward the Middle East with the gospel. And I was sitting there talking with some of the house church leaders that I have had the opportunity to partner with over the last couple of years, and we began talking more and more about their desire and their need for more biblical theological training. And it was house church leaders saying to me, we, we want to know the Bible more. We want to know the Bible more. And so I asked them, I said, if you were to put together almost a curriculum, so to speak, but what do you, what do you need to know about the Bible? And basically we began to list different things. Just a picture of the Old Testament, a picture of the New Testament. How do you study this Bible? How do you teach this Bible as the gospel is advancing? Different things we began to talk about. And I sat there, wrote things down. We had these discussions, and I, I got on a plane after sneaking out of that place and headed back over to the United States thinking, okay, I'm about to go back to, at that time, I had just made the decision to accept God's call to come and lead at this church. And I began to think, how in the world am I ever going to be able to, to put this into practice in the context that I'm about to go into in Birmingham, Alabama? And I praise God for the grace that he has shown over this year to bring over a thousand people together tonight to study his word on behalf of brothers and sisters that I was with a year ago in that Asian country. And I want to remind you from the very beginning of our time together tonight that I do hope, I hope our time in the New Testament will be a challenge to you, an encouragement to you in your own personal intimacy with Christ. But I want to remind you that we are also studying tonight on their behalf. This is much bigger than what happens in the next room over the next few hours. This is being videotaped so that it can be translated into different languages. We already have, in the next week, we will have the Old Testament translated into Chinese so that brothers and sisters who I was working with can take that or we can, we can take a video iPod, download that teaching on and basically take seminary on a stick eventually into house churches all around the world. What an incredible picture. But you know what would be even better than video iPods? 
What if God's people in the United States of America began to get God's heart for the nations and rose up and took the word that's been entrusted to us, and instead of going to give iPods, we went ourselves to give them the teaching that's been entrusted to us. And so I remind you that by virtue of the fact that you're here tonight, you are now under obligation not to let the word of God stop with you. You now have a responsibility. And if you're not ready for this, then maybe, maybe this is not the place tonight. Because this is a responsibility we have. We've been entrusted this book for a reason, so that it would be multiplied through us. God, raise up a church that is not just receiving the word, but is reproducing the word. May God raise up an army from Church of Brook Hills, as well as other churches that are represented here, who are taking the New Testament around the world. Okay, you ready now? Now, it's going to be thick. I, I want to remind you that the, the purpose of our time together is, in light of that, is not to entertain. My goal is not to, to entertain. Uh, and, and so it's, it's going to be, I won't say it's not going to be a long six hours, five and a half hours now that we have in front of us. It's going to be thick. It's going to be serious. I, I, you've got notes in there. I want to encourage you to take, take those notes. You've got fill in the blanks. But then I'll talk about some things that are in addition to the notes or elaborate on the notes. Let me encourage you to take notes in such a way that you would be able to teach exactly what I'm saying to somebody tomorrow, next week, next year. So take notes with that purpose in mind. All right. At the, at the height of his fame, uh, Muhammad Ali had boarded a plane that was preparing for takeoff, and the flight attendant came by his seat numerous times and gently reminded him to put on his seatbelt. The plane was preparing to leave, and she came by one more time and saw that his seatbelt was still not on, and she said, Sir, please put on your seatbelt. Muhammad Ali's response was, looking up to her, and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant looked back at him and with quick wit said, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> so strap on your seatbelts. Here we go. Survey of the New Testament. Survey of the New Testament. Okay, from the start. Are you ready? How should we study the New Testament? We're going to look at it through three dimensions, three lenses, so to speak. First of all, the literary dimension. When we come to the New Testament, this is a, this is a book. It's a piece of literature. And so the literary dimension is important to look at it through that perspective. How does it come together as a book, as a piece of literature? Second, the historical dimension. This is not just a, a story of some tales from long ago that may or may not be true. This is historical truth that we're looking at, and historical truth that we believe has ramifications for all people throughout history, including us in this room. That's why we need to study it, because there is historical value to the New Testament. Literary dimension, historical dimension, and third, the theological dimension. What does the New Testament teach us about God? What, and that is ultimately where we're going to get to. We're basically going to split the night up as far as the teaching sessions into two parts. We'll have it spread, spread out in a different teaching, four different teaching sessions, but two main parts. The first, diving into the literary and historical, getting an overview of the books in the New Testament. And then second, the last half of our time together tonight... So just in case you were thinking you might, you know, skip out around 10 o'clock, you're going to miss the best part because the last half of what we're going to do is we're going to dive in and see how it all fits together to give us a picture of Christ and God and the ramifications that it has for our lives. So that's the three dimensions we're going to look through, three lenses. What is the New Testament? Thinking about the New Testament as literature, it's a collection of how many books? 27, okay? 27. Some of you are thinking, I think it's 27. I'm not going to say it if I mess up. Okay, 27 books written by one divine author, and that's important to remember. The Holy Spirit of God 
God is the author of Scripture. We're going to see that unfold a couple of different times. And approximately, anybody know how many human authors? Approximately nine human authors. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's, that's pretty clear from the first few books. Then you've got Paul and Peter. Then you've got James. You've got Jude. And then you've got the author of Hebrews, which is out there. So you might even say, well, your number may change based on what you believe about Hebrews. We'll get into that. But you've got approximately, that's the, that's the reason for approximately, approximately nine human authors. Hebrews just throws us a curveball. It was written in Koine Greek, which is basically common Greek. It was written in the common language of the people. We're going to talk about that in a second. Over a span of less than 100 years. So basically, you had less than a century over which these books were written. Basically, from the life and ministry of Christ to and, and, and things that were being recorded that time, not even finalized until after he had left the earth. And then you've got through just, just one generation of people who had who'd been eyewitnesses to Christ and had been associated with him. So you've got less than 100 years. Three key genres in New Testament literature. First is historical narrative. Historical narrative, and basically that means story. It's, it's, it's an account of history and how things work together. It's a narrative. Second is epistle which is in the fancy New Testament word for letter. And then third is revelation. Revelation is technically a letter also, but it's kind of weird. It does the Hebrews on us and just throws us a curveball. So three different genres in New Testament literature. You've got historical narrative epistle, and then revelation is just plain unique. Three characteristics, key characteristics of New Testament literature that are foundation for us to understand. First, historical accuracy. We need to realize that all the things we're reading were written by, by people who were either eyewitnesses to Christ or eyewitnesses to what they're talking about in the church or directly linked to eyewitnesses. You look at the Gospels, for example. You've got Matthew and John, who they were apostles, and so they obviously had seen Christ, had been associated with Christ, walked with Christ. And then you have Mark and Luke. Mark is very close to, anybody know what, what apostle he's close to? He's very close to Peter, and so he's directly linked to Peter, who obviously knew Christ well. And then you've got Luke, who's associated with Paul. So we see Luke journeying with Paul on his missionary journeys. So you see a link even from the very beginning. And the rest of the book is, is dealing with people not just giving secondhand accounts. It is, it, the New Testament is giving historical accounts of eyewitness things that they had seen and heard. Second, textual authenticity. Basically what that means is that we've got to realize that the New Testament is authenticated by the manuscripts that we have more than any other book in antiquity can even begin to compare with it. We have thousands of manuscripts that go back all the way close to the times when this was originally written. And there are different, and you even see it a couple points in the New Testament. You see some different, we call them textual variants, which is basically there's different, different texts that seem to say different things, use a different word here or there. At the end of Mark, you've got a whole section that there's debate over whether or not that was actually originally a part of Mark. We'll talk about that. But but basically what we need to realize is that 99.9% of those textual variants, 99.9% .9 of it is, is pretty clear. We've just got a few textual variants out there, and those textual variants don't have in any way a major, major effect on how we would understand key doctrines or key truths about Christ and that we see unfold in the New Testament. Third is divine authority. These are the books these 27 books that God has established through his church, for his church. There's some people that have criticized the whole process of canonizing the New Testament. 
and say, well, the church created the New Testament. Ladies and gentlemen, the church did not create the New Testament. The New Testament created the church. God, in his divine sovereignty, organized it so that through the men and women of the first century, it would be formed within just a couple of centuries later, a body of material that 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuke, correct, and training in righteousness. This, these books have divine authority. And so, New Testament created by God through the church. All right. When and where did the events of the New Testament take place? When and where did they take place? New Testament is history. Basically, and if you were here at the last secret church, we ended up with uh, the book of Malachi, and we ended up seeing how the people of God had been brought back to exile. They'd rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem, and, and they had rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. And basically, there they are for a few centuries with nothing going on, no official word from God, so to speak. And during that time, you've got, it starts with the Persian rule. You see Cyrus there at the end of the Old Testament. Then you get into Greek rule, a guy named Alexander the Great. And then you get into the Maccabean period, which is basically a time where there was a Jewish uprising against the Hellenistic Greek rule that was there. And for a while, almost 100 years, this royal dynasty reigned uh, in Jerusalem until Roman emperor uh, the Roman general, Emperor Pompey, came and he conquered Jerusalem. That led finally to the Roman period. We're going to see why this is important. The Roman period from about 63 B.C. through the time of the New Testament. So we need to realize that when Jesus came, he came at a time when the Roman Empire was officially in control. You had Herod the Great and then his sons take over and you see different people mentioned at different places throughout the New Testament that are almost always linked with the Roman Empire. And so just keep that in the back of your mind. What it all headed toward, and this is going to come into play in some of these books in the New Testament, is around 70 A.D., the Roman Empire came and attacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. The temple completely destroyed, and around 70 A.D., it ravaged Jerusalem, the Jewish people, and in some senses, the Jewish religion. So... All of that to say, that's the intertestamental time period. The timeline of the New Testament, based on the life of Christ, begins between, many scholars think, 4 or 6 B.C., somewhere in there. Maybe not as clean a break as we'd like to make the B.C. A.D. thing, but right around there. And then the book of Revelation is written near the close of the first century. Most would believe that. And let me, let me just even say at that point that I'm going to try my best to focus tonight on the things that we know. There's a lot of New Testament scholarship that debates a lot of different things. And we could spend time tonight getting into that, but I don't think it's worth our time. I think it's best to focus on what we do know in the New Testament. So I'm going to try my best for everything we see to, to, to look at that which evangelical scholarship would, would be agreed on. If there's something that's kind of out there, I'll let you know. The timeline, timeliness of the New Testament. Now, here's what's really neat. The right time. It was the right time for Jesus to come, first of all, theologically. Theologically, it was the right time for him to come. The Old Testament has led us precisely to this point. The Old Testament people of God, they are waiting for the long-awaited Messiah. The law in the Old Testament has shown their need for a Messiah. Right time theologically. Second, the right time religiously. The Jewish people had, for the most part, during this intertestamental time, had forsaken most idolatry. They had set up synagogues. There were places for worship, places for teaching, schools that were separated, that were scattered throughout. And that's, that's where we're going to see Paul going when he goes on his missionary journeys. He's going to go to the synagogue. Obviously, we'd see Jesus announcing the kingdom in the synagogue. And so that's going to play an important role. And 
The right time religiously because they had completed the Old Testament pretty much by this time. Next, the right time culturally. Most evident in the Greek language. Basically, Alexander the Great, a few centuries before, had gone throughout throughout the ancient world and established a common language, the lingua franca, basically established Koine Greek, which we mentioned earlier, as the official language, one of his goals, with one world, one language. And so it just so happened that there was one common language that the New Testament could be written in in that time that would be transferable across cultural lines. Finally, the right time politically. In the Roman Empire, you had something called the Pax Romana, which basically means Roman peace. Palestine had been built under Roman rule, and what the Romans had done is they had established roadways for people to travel safely all around that area, roadways through which the gospel could go safely all throughout these different areas. Now, I want you to think about those things, theologically, religiously, but even with this common language and the Pax Romana, the Roman peace that was there when, when Christ came that enabled the gospel message to be gone out. What I want us to see is that God was not up in heaven thinking, okay, okay, I think it looks about time. This seems to be the maximum time. Now I'm going to send you down there, Jesus. You go down there. Instead, I want you to see that the sovereign God of the universe has been orchestrating the events of all creation headed toward this one moment when in his timing he would send Jesus Christ to come to this earth, down a cross, rise from the grave, and the New Testament church begin. It was the right time. You've got a map of Palestine, I think, on pages 6 and 7 in there. I hope that will give you just a little, bit of a, a little bit of a perspective as we see things different, different things happen, especially in some of the Gospels, but also when we start to look at Paul's missionary journeys to think through the geography of this whole thing. But now I want us to get into an overview of the books of the New Testament. And basically what I want us to do is I want us to go one by one through the books, and I want us to get, encapsulate a picture of what these New Testament books teach us. Three primary divisions. We've talked about them in the genres, but three primary divisions. First of all is the story of the New Testament. The story of the New Testament. About 60% of the New Testament is a story. It's the first five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, tell us the story of the New Testament. Second is the letters of the New Testament. And those are epistles, letters that are written that help us understand the story that's going on in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. So notice that the New Testament books are not chronologically arranged here. You've got most of these letters that are written in the context of what we see happening from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28. So you've got the story of the letters and finally the conclusion of the New Testament. Revelation, which is technically a letter, but is also a lot different. So we've got the conclusion, Revelation. What I want us to do is in each of these books... I want to give an overview in two ways. I want to give you some, at the very start, just some primary information that will help us understand these books as we read them. Primary information for starters, and then second, some practical advice for study. Some practical advice that you might, you might take as you dive in and begin to study some of these different books. Primary information for starters and practical advice for study. All right, the story of the New Testament. We're going to get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts first. The life and the ministry of Christ. Basically, two categories in the story of the New Testament. First, the life and the ministry of Christ, which is Matthew to John. All of these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what unites them is they were written for the same primary purpose. They were written to show us a picture of Christ and the gospel. Now, I want, you to, I want you to hear this. These books were not written to be biographies of Jesus that go chronologically through his life. Some of these Gospels are not arranged chronologically at all. They were written for the primary purpose 
to show Christ to the people that were listening to them. But why we see some differences, why we see different stories told by different authors is because, well, yeah, they were written for the same, same primary purpose, but they were written from different viewpoints and for different audiences. These are four different people, four different guys with different personalities, different perspectives, talking to different people. Now, I want you to think about how the audience is going to affect the way you write. We've got to realize that in order to understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we've got, to, we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of people that Matthew was writing to. Because whenever you communicate with someone, you take into account what they already know. You take into account what they already understand. And this is the challenge for us 2,000 years later to put ourselves in the shoes of Matthew's readers and to realize what was already in their frame of reference in order to understand why Matthew was doing this or that. That's why... New Testament biblical study is more than just reading through the Bible. Not to minimize reading through the Bible, but in order to understand it, we've got to dive into what, what this meant for the people who heard it at that time. We've got to put ourselves in the shoes of the audience who was reading it at that point. So you've got the life and ministry of Christ, and second, the life and ministry of the church. The life and ministry of the church, which is basically part two of Luke's gospel. So Luke wrote both the book of... Luke, very good, and Acts. He wrote them both, all right? Okay, we ready? We're going to dive in. Now, I, if you want to, just to take notes during this time, you might, in your Bible, open up to Matthew, and you might, at the very beginning, put a couple of notes that stick out. We're going to look at some different verses. I'll try to give you a little bit of time to write some extra stuff, but at the same time, we got a lot to cover, so I apologize if I get ahead. But, but I want us to look at each of these books. First of all, Matthew. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. Isn't this great? The way the New Testament starts, that God would decide the first author should be a guy who is known and suspected for taking advantage of his people. The least likely candidate for writing the first book in the New Testament is Matthew. Aren't you glad we have a God who doesn't choose the most likely candidates, but he chooses the least likely candidates? Praise God that he has poured out on his grace on those who could never begin to deserve it. We see that from the very beginning, even the author here. Now, he wrote it in the 70s to 80s A.D., somewhere in there, which meant, when was the temple destroyed? 70 A.D. So he wrote soon after the destruction of the temple. Now, this is important. What we're going to see is that Matthew in his writing, is in a battle for the hearts and soul of Judaism. You've got Judaism that's going to go one way or the other. It's either going to go the way of the Pharisees or it's going to go the way of Christ. And he is urging Jewish Christians or those Jews who were thinking about coming to faith in Christ, he is urging them to follow Christ. That's why he gives us this picture in this book. He wants the heart of Judaism to realize that Judaism has been fulfilled in the picture of Jesus Christ. So that's why he writes this whole book. The primary theme is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. From the very beginning, he is pointing out over and over and over again, and we'll even see later tonight that Matthew emphasizes over and over and over again the kingship of Jesus. Practical advice for study. I want to encourage you to look for the focus on the kingdom of God all throughout Matthew. When you read through this book, you'll see the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven mentioned over and over again, and you see this outline, this structure that's here. 
It's emphasizing the king. What it, what it does, Matthew does this. He puts a lot of emphasis on the teachings of Christ. And there are five major blocks of teaching in each one of these parts of this outline, the structure that you have in front of you. Five major blocks of teaching. And then his actions would show the meaning of those teachings. So that's what Matthew's doing. He's not arranging things chronologically. He's helping highlight what Christ is teaching. Probably Christ's most famous teaching, the very beginning of Matthew and the ministry of Christ there, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. That's, it's an emphasis in the teaching of Christ throughout this book. I want to encourage you, if you read through Matthew, look up, look up cross-references. And that's when the Bible is making reference to different points, allusions, quotations, or even just in a picture helping highlight something else that's been seen in the Bible, cross-references. There's 129 references or allusions to 25 of the 39 Old Testament books. You see why survey of the Old Testament was important? Because in order to read Matthew, we've got to know the Old Testament because he's referring to it over and over and over again. Twelve different times in this book, he talks about how this was fulfilled or that was fulfilled. All throughout the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, it was fulfilled this, it was fulfilled that. Strong link to the Old Testament. When reading about the teachings of Jesus, remember to put yourself in the hearer's shoes. We've got to get in a Jewish mindset in order to understand the book of Matthew. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.